BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. instrument if you would do more programs about your trip to India and about your mother. Uh, I'm forever singing in the breeze. What is this? Uh, let's see. Uh, riddle. It says, Shepard, uh, what do you do with your dog when you go away on a weekend? What do you do with your dog when you go away on a weekend? That's a riddle. Says, look on the other side of the card for the answer. Put him in a 24-hour barking lot. Oh. oh, that's terrible. Put him in a 24-hour barking lot. What is this rotting of the brain that is going on? It just to, it's a. In, uh, it, does anyone out there have a good riddle that I can say? I mean, I, there's of course this is a contradiction in terms. There's no such thing as a good riddle. So someone would please uh, uh, supply me before we get too far into this thing with a good riddle to expunge the rotten odor of that last one. Twenty-four hour barking lot. Uh, 
Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, of good riddles and bad riddles, uh, tonight uh, I saw a sad scene, a real sad scene. I saw a guy crawling around on the street, and uh, he wasn't crawling around the street because he had a snoot for which is the first thing I thought, you know, being uh, this time. Incidentally, it's the full moon, so I can expect immediately, of course, it's already started, 20 minutes before we go on the air, that the phones start calling and the cuckoo birds start calling in, you know, this the, as the as the moon rises to the full quadrant, George. You, I don't know whether you are aware. Of course, you must be aware, of being around as long as you, as you have, that the that the that the frenzy among the cuckoo birds out there grows as the moon gets fatter, and uh, when it reaches this time of the year, of course, it's this time of the month. It's just completely out of hand. There's one lady, for example, who believes that I, I, I'm continually flying my airplane over her house because I'm madly in love with her, and I am buzzing her house day and night with my airplane to uh, somehow uh, show her my love, and that when I'm out of town, like in Alaska, I hire other people to fly their airplanes over her home. <laughs> I can't go any further than that. Uh, did we get a good riddle in? Uh, well, uh, that one uh, didn't make it, did it? So another bad riddle just goes down the drain. But, of course, I saw this guy crawling around the ground, and it was just about uh, about ten minutes before I came to the studio scene. It's, it's raining a little bit. And he's in this nice suit, and he's crawling around, and he's looking down on the sidewalk. And I couldn't help but see. I walked past, and I, 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 he's a you know, nice-looking gentleman. He's crawling. Look, I said, excuse me, is there any trouble here? I thought maybe he dropped his glasses or something, couldn't find him. So I said, what's the matter? Oh, he says, my key ring busted. My key fell off, and it's down here somewhere. And he says, I can't get my car. And he's crawling around, and I see cigar butts and old beer cans and, you know, the stuff that all the dogs leave along in the streets here in New York. He's looking for this key. Now, had I had time, I might have helped him look for the key, see? So uh, I walked down a little further, and I saw him crawling around. People begin to gather around him. Now, there's about ten guys watching him look for his key, see? So it suddenly hit me, oh, oh, man. It, 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 I got over to 6th Avenue, and a great wave of fear just swept over me. How many at times in your life have you lost something crucial? And you couldn't believe you lost it. And it's lost, totally lost. And, you, you know, it's just no sense in going on. <laughs> well... Way down deep, it's because we all have this, you're going to lose something important syndrome going with you. But sometimes it can be so tragic, so disastrous, that it becomes funny. It becomes funny. It's like, you know, you take out your life savings. You know, you have uh, all the money that you've saved up in your whole world. You know, you, you're, you're going you're gonna, to, you just take it and you have it in a paper sack. All $36. And you leave it in the subway. <laughs> I mean, you just have to laugh. Well, I, you know that the fear of losing something is is uh, is so deep inside of us that the, I talked to a violinist. You remember here a couple of years ago, the famous concert violinist that played at Carnegie Hall left his Stradivarius in the cab. Left his Stradivarius in the cab. And by the way, he did not forget to take his daily news with him. He didn't leave that in the cab. He left the Stradivarius in the cab. Could this have been a, 
little Freudian thing saying, him, you're a fake, you should never have been playing this rotten instrument, friend, you should always... <laughs> Left it in the cab. Well, if you'll give me a little mood music, George, please, tonight I'm going to tell you a story that you'll probably wish you had not heard because of the sickening and the scary connotations. Bring it up there, George. Oh, life is tough. Ain't no way you can win. You're going to lose, friend. No matter what you do, you're going to lose in the end. story is pretty sickening. <laughs> and it uh, it has to do with cars. I will tell you a story about cars. Now, for all of you car cuckoos, you know, you know what I'm about to tell. You don't know the story, but you know the feeling. My, I, I got really involved. See, I was about 16 years old. And I just got my driver's license. And uh, for any male type out there listening, and he knows, you know, you get the car cuckoo thing going with you, man, you think, eat, dream, sleep, you, well, you can't get cars out of your head. And you, I, I'd sit in school and I'd draw cars, and uh, I, I would sit and watch them go by and think about them, and I'd think about the parts in them. I used to think even such things as, yeah, I, you know that at one point I even thought of the number of electric motors, Nick, that are in a car. Have you ever thought of the number of electric motors that are in a car? Think about it. There's a lot of electric motors. See, and I used to sit there and thinking, gee, you know, and I, I, I'd see cars in my sleep. I'd dream of cars. And, of course, the next step was to get involved in working on them. I love to work on cars. Anytime anybody would say, Shep, here, hold the wrench. Man, I was right there. You know, I'd watch these guys. I'd go to the garage, and I'd, I'd go to Pass Winsky's garage. It was a shell station. It had this garage in the back. And Frank Paswinski was always grinding the valves on somebody's Chevy. And I'd stand around, you know, and I'd watch them. they get the head off, and these guys are working away there. And I picked up all the nomenclature, and I actually began to work on things. You know, once in a while I'd get on. I'd work on a Saturday afternoon. He paid me $1.40 an hour working down at the garage, grinding valves. I loved it. And I'd, every, every busted fingernail I had was precious. All right, you got the scene? Well... We had a car in our family. The old man's car. Let's put it this way. It wasn't the family's car. It was the old man's car. And see, if I loved cars, the old man loved cars 50 times more. And he used to keep that, that, we had this Oldsmobile scene, he'd keep that thing so shiny, man, I'll tell you. You could, you could feel the glow from this car 
just coming through the garage at midnight. You just see it gleaming in there. And, of course, it was about 19 hands old. You know, was, there were at least 19 guys that owned it before we got it. But the old man loved it. And he'd get spot remover, you know, and he'd take spots off the seat and his windows. He'd get out with a rag and he'd clean the windows off every afternoon. Of course, uh, you know, it was his life, his car. I loved his car. Well, one Saturday afternoon, there could just as well be tomorrow, you know, like any Saturday. I am out noon. School's nice. It's fall, and I'm digging the scene, and I'm 16. I've got a brand fresh new driver's license. Now, the old man had one rule in the house over the weekend, and that was don't wake him up before noon. Now, one day of the week, he could sleep, and man, if you if you made any noise in the house, he'd kill you. <laughs> he'd love to sleep. And so, the old man is sleeping in a sack there, and it's about 11 o'clock, noon, something like that, and I'm getting the itch. I see the car sitting out there in the driveway, with the sun gleaming down on it. <laughs> there on the dining room table are the keys. Okay? Now, this car is the car that formed the vortex. In fact, it formed... The core, the apple core of the old man's life. And I went in to the car and sat down in the front seat. I playing with the steering wheel a little bit, working the gear shift level. And by the way, he, he was the kind of guy that was always buying accessories for the car. Like, for example, he had a skull and crossbones that was attached to the steering wheel that was his spinner knob, you know. <laughs> That was the, you know, the artistic taste of the old man. And if you're curious, he had a big black dice, you know, seven on the side. And that was his gear shift knob, you know, the big dice on the top, see. And, and more than that, he had a rubber monkey that hung in the back window, would go up and down when the car would go. See, he loved this kind of stuff, see. And, uh, but it was his car. He just, everything about the car, he used to sit there, you know. And uh, I'm sitting in the front seat now, working the keys. Yeah, put the key in the car, see. Let's take a, you know, just uh, turn it over and warm it up for the old man. <laughs> and everything, I love to look at the meters. You see, it's, it's charging. I look at the air meter and it flicks over towards the sea. And I see it's got uh, three quarters of a tank of gas, which is at least two quarters more than the old man usually had. You know, he's got a big weekend, see. It's running three quarters of the tank. I put my foot on the gas. You feel that little vibration. Well, what is the next step? I ease in the clutch. I think I'll back it up just a little bit. You know, it's uh, to get it out of the sun, get it in the shade of the house. See, so I'm. I put it in reverse, and I roll it back about maybe five feet. Great, great. Feels good. See, I have to ease the clutch out. I put the brake on, put it back in the neutral. Little did I realize that I was approaching a disaster that would forever be part of the folklore of the Shepherd clan. And when it was mentioned, there would be dead silences. So I put it in first, and I drive it forward. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going back and forth. I put a little bit and back and forth. Then I decide, well, you know, I think what I'll do, I'll help the old man, and uh, the back end is facing the street. I'll turn the car around. 
see? So that when he comes out, he just gets in the car and it's facing down the driveway, and then he won't have to back out and turn around all that. I'll do that for him. <laughs> so I, I back it up. She eases around, and I slip it in the first, and I spin the wheel with the skull and crossbones spinner all the way. You know, I love to grab that spinner, see? And by the way, the eyes of the skull and crossbones were two fake emeralds. You know, those ones that glow. So, (laughs) oh, I'll never forget the time the old man let let that spinner go once and it got him in the gut. You know, the car straightened out and the spinner got him in the gut. And I think that, you know, never did help him after that. But I backed up a couple times. I finally got the car turned around. I backed it into the Almost all the way into the into the yard, got it turned around, and now it's facing the street. Just sitting there, this big, glowing, beautiful machine monster. Which reminds me, this is W O R New York. I'm sitting in the front seat of the old man's car, and I can smell the gasoline. It's exciting to a male. I don't know whether girls ever feel that kind of feeling about cars, but men do, right, George? No, no two ways about it. Well, after a bit, you know, the car's warmed up now, and it's you can see that the, the uh, temperature gauge is up to normal. Gee, she was running great. So I get out of the car, turn it off, and I go into the house. But I couldn't get that damn car out of my mind. It's just sitting out there, you see. And the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. And uh, the yeast was rising deep inside my my veins. I could feel the... You know, I could feel the life, the sap flowing through. Well, along comes, around the back of the house, comes Bruner, my buddy. And Bruner comes wandering along, and he hollers. You You remember when guys used to come to your house and holler for you? You know, hey, George! You know, (laughs) out and back. You know, I guess, I don't know whether kids still do holler for each other like that, but you know, you holler out the back, Hey, George! Hey, Shepard! You know, they yell out the back. They didn't come up and knock on the door, I think. They'd holler in the back, see? And I hear, Hey, Shepard! And it's Bruner. So I hollered, I, You don't go out to talk to me, either. You holler from inside the house, you know? What do you want? Just come on out! What for? We're going out to play ball! Uh, well, okay, after I finish my sandwich. I'm eating a sandwich, see. I made a salami sandwich in there, see. So I'm eating a sandwich. and So he just waits out there. You know, kids don't invite you. He's waiting out there. So, so I'm eating a sandwich and, and knocking down the, the Campbell soup. But, you know, it's lunch, see. And the old man is still asleep. He's still in the next room, sound asleep. So I walk out on the back porch finally. Bruner's sitting on the back steps, and he's got his ball glove. Has to go on the steps. It suddenly hit me, and I didn't feel like playing ball today. So, so, you know, because that car, Bruner was outlined against the car. That car was drawing me on like some kind of a fantastic mechanical magnet. I couldn't get away from it. So Bruner picks up his gloves and says, well, come on, let's go. I said, wait a minute, Bruner, I think I I think I left a rag in the front seat of the car. He said, oh, you've been driving a car? "Mm, Yeah, you know, you know, you driving a car. I drove it back and forth three feet, you know. You know, I tell Bruner, yeah, I see, because Bruner was one year younger than I was and didn't have a license. I was running up top. Yeah, driving the car, the old man, you know. I've been driving it all weekend. <laughs> you know, I just come back. And he says, oh. I said, well, I'm going to go get the rag. So I get in the car and I sit in the front seat and I look down underneath there. I said, I'm not looking for any rag. I just love to sit in the seat. 
And funny, it hit me. I didn't want to go. I just I didn't want to play ball. So I get out of the car and he says, look, Bruner, go ahead. I don't want to play ball. i got to work on a car. I said, well, what are you doing? I said, i gotta, I got some work to do on a car. And Bruner goes down the driveway and there I am alone. Sun beaming down. I decided to work on the car. Now, what do you do when you work on the car? Well, the first thing you do is decide what's wrong with the car, right? Well, there was nothing wrong with the car. But I wanted to work on a car. Now, this car was so shiny, the old man had it simonized. I mean, he must have had nine coats of simonized on this thing. The chrome polish was so spotless that you could see reflections within reflections within reflections. And I didn't feel like polishing it. I felt like working on it. Just different. So I get into the garage, and he has this big toolbox, which was made out of wood, you know, the kind with the big handle on the top, and it's open. It looks like a hod carrier's thing, and he had all kinds of tools, the old man's tools and rags and waste, and he had screwdrivers and shims and the whole jazz in this toolbox. So I take the toolbox, and I think, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tighten the nuts on the car. Yeah, you know, the head bolts. This is a thing you can do, see? So I'd I, done this down at the garage, and so I opened the hood of the car, and there is that magnificent, big, six-cylinder Oldsmobile engine with all the ignition wires and the, the generator down. It was still heating up, you know. You could feel the, the heat rising out. It's an exciting feeling, and this is a, a living creature. This isn't just a car. It's, a li- it's our car. It's a living creature, see? And so I, I start doing these little things like I open the... I open the radiator, look in, there it is, this is rusty water right to the top. I put the radiator cap back on, and, and so I take out my old man's set of socket wrenches. He had this kind, you know, with all the wrenches that fit in this little metal clip with the handle. So I take out the socket wrench, and I, I test the wrenches, and I finally decide, here's the wrench that fits on the generator nuts. The generator was attached to the side of the block with this big rod, you know, five or six big bolts on it. So I start tightening them. And I'm tightening them away. There. I feel, I'm really working on a car now. The heat's drifting out. Mr. Bruner comes out of the house next door and walks past. Oh, working on a car, huh? He's on his way to the Bluebird. He won't be able to talk that good, you know, a couple hours from now. But he's gone. This is his weekend, see. It's, he's going out to work. His work consisted of trying to drink up everything they were cooking, you know, at Seagram. So he leaves. And I'm tightening the bolts. Well, now, there is... Very few parts on a car that are more exciting to a real car cuckoo than what part? What is the part that gets more excitement among males and among guys that are interested in cars? Carburetors, right? (laughs) The carburetor in a car... The carburetor to a car is like the heart to the human... the, the, the human anatomy. And it's roughly that... Sneaky to work on. It's got valves in it. It's got everything almost like the heart and almost does the same thing, see? And so sitting on top of this block was this beautiful carburetor, and the old man was always talking about adjusting it. Well, I knew a little bit about adjusting it, so I decided I was going to take the carburetor off. You got it? And I was going to clean it for the old man. What a fantastic mistake. So I... 
it's it's sitting on the top of the motor block, the, sitting right on the top in the middle there, you see, and it's a standard Oldsmobile-type carburetor with a air filter on the top. So I take the air filter off, which was held with this clamp, and I lift the air filter, big air filter, and I set it down on the ground very carefully. Now I'm really working on the car, see. And I look in, I can see this little, a little uh, oil and crud and gunk on the edges of this carburetor. Now the carburetor was set down on the block, and it sat on a flange with four bolts that went right through. You got it? So, no, 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 no problem taking it off. So I take this, you got it? I take this socket wrench and I fit it down. Uh, oh, boy, this son of a gun's not really on. See? Uh, the first one starts to move. Ah, I got it loose. I set the socket down and the one to the right. Oh, man, this is really tight, see? So I take the old man's mallet and I hit the, I hit the handle, see? Oop, there it goes. Well, 15 minutes later, I have removed the four key bolts which hold the carburetor down to the block of the Oldsmobile. All the while, the old man's in his bedroom, snoozing away. He, You know, he's got the world by the you-know-what. You know, he's sleeping. It's Saturday. It's groovy, you know. And he's, he, he re- does not realize that his world is crumbling around him. <laughs> so I take the carburetor off, see. I lift it off. <sighs> okay. Then I see it's got a gasket. You know the gasket that sits down over the four bolts? So I, I said, well, I better take the gasket off because I'm going to clean the gasket now. You see, when man perpetrates a total fiasco, he does it logarithmically. In other words, if you're going to louse up, you will really louse up, friends. You don't louse up a little bit, you go all the way if you're, the, you know, if you're prone to do it. So I peel this cork gasket off. It was made out of cork. I peel it off, and I get the gasket very carefully, and I put it next to the carburetor, which is now on a piece of paper on the driveway next to the car. Now I'm really going to go to work, see? So I take I take a rag and I take a, a a can of gasoline out of the garage, and I start taking the carburetor apart very carefully. See this bolts hold it together. And I lift it out. And I can see the needle valve in there and all that stuff. See, and I douse it with gasoline and I'm running it through. See, and sloshing it around, and crud is coming out. I'm feeling really groovy, Shepard. You know, I'm really doing it. I'm really gonna. Is the old man gonna be surprised? I can think. Oh, is he gonna be surprised when finds that he's getting like 25 miles a gallon of gas and the car's got 50 percent more pickup and it goes like mad? You know. And I will tell him all about it. And then one day when he says, "Gee, the car's working good," I'll say, "Hey, Dad, uh, have you noticed how great it's working?" Well, uh, <laughs> well, guess what happened? Well, I, I, da, da, da. this is dreams of glory. See, so I'm dipping the carburetor into gasoline. And I see the crud falling off of it, and I, very carefully, I have got myself some tissues, and I'm cleaning it out with the Kleenex, see, carefully cleaning all the crud is coming off, it is now about two o'clock, it's getting hot out, see, real hot, now I can hear the old man in the house banging around, he is up now, see, and he is having breakfast, I can see him, you know, in my mind, he's sitting at the kitchen table there with his BVDs on, you know, reading the paper, drinking his morning coffee, Smoking his 18 cigarettes, you know, and, and he's got a, you know, he's got a growth of beer, and it's, it's Saturday, and he's, uh, he's ready for a big night, <laughs> he's just slowly coming to life, and I'm gonna get it back on, see, and I'm gonna surprise him. So I take the carburetor and I douse it up and down about three or four times. 
I hold it in my left hand. Now I'm about to put it right back on that block. I look around. Where's the gasket? Oh, there it is. It's been blown over. I see the wind blew it over on the dirt. See, so I pick it up and I, I got it now in my right hand and I see there's all kinds of dirt and crud hanging out of the gasket. So I carefully put the carburetor back down on the hood of the car and take the gasket and dip it into gasoline. I'm dipping it up like that. The crud comes off. You notice trouble is slowly beginning to enter it, right? So I carefully lay the gasket under the four upright bolts that are, the, the bolts that are sitting there. I lay it down. It fits perfectly. Now I'm all set. I carefully put the Carry carefully, put the carburetor back on. Adjust carefully. Now, let's see. All right. I reached down, and I had put the four bolts on the newspaper. I reached down, I take one of them, I put it on with the fingers first, breaking a fingernail. Sun is hot. I take the gasket, I push it down harder. Now I have the socket wrench. I lay it on the top and... Oh, man, this thing is going on hard, see? It's, you know, barely going on. Come off a lot easier than it's going on. So I take another breath and go... Well, maybe if I get the other three on, this one will set better. So I take another one of the bolts and I put it on. That's the one on the right. And I start screwing it with my fingers. It goes on pretty good. I lay the, so the wrench on it, the socket wrench. I put the handle in. And this one's going pretty good. See? Well, that went out pretty good. At least it looks tight anyway. So I put the one on the other side. There's only four, see. Put it on, start screwing it. And now I got three of them on. I reach down for the fourth. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it, under the paper? Couldn't have blown it away. It's a bolt, see? So I get down, there's a nut, you know, a big one. So I get down on my hands and knees, and I look under the paper. I take the paper up, and I shake it, nothing. Well, maybe it rolled under the toolbox, so I carefully pick the toolbox up, what you say? Nothing. This is the essence of true lost things. There's a total mystery about them. You can't explain how you lose them. There's no, there's no reason for it. And it, it, all of a sudden, I felt the fear. Oh, my God, I lost one of the nuts. What am I going to do? So now I'm going up and down the driveway on my hands and knees, seeing I'm, I'm looking in the weeds, and I'm up and down the you know, back of the car and all around. It's sitting right in the driveway. That Where could it go? You know, where could it go? I'm climbing around the back and up and down, and I hear inside the house, I hear the old man singing, He's feeling great, see, because this afternoon, you know, he's got the world on the, you know, the, he's getting ready to go out. And I can't find a nut. I'm getting scared. Really scared. Well, to make a long story even more sickening, you know what 
man generally does when he is totally loused up. He fakes it. I could not find that nut. And I thought to myself for one wild moment, where could it have gone? Did Mr. Bruner take it? You know, he walked past... You know, it didn't seem... It just seemed insane that Mr. Bruder would take one nut from the carburetor, you know, staggering on his way down to the Bluebird. So I figured, well, I don't know where it is. It's gone. It's gone. I lost it. It's gone. I can't find the nut. What do I do? It's the old man's beautiful car. So I take the wrench, and I figure it doesn't really matter if there's three bolts on that are really tight. The fourth one won't matter. Bum, ba dum, bum. So I carefully tightened the other three. As tight as I could, and I take a hammer, you know, and I'm pushing them over. I put the hood back down on the car, rushed into the garage, put the tools back by the pile of tires the old man had there, Walked around the side of the house, into the front of the house, into my bedroom, walking as cool and as quiet as I can walk, picked up my glove, went back through the dining room, and I could see the old man sitting there, you know, and he's, he's got a piece of coffee cake. It's breakfast time for him, you know, 2.30, eating the coffee cake and drinking his ninth pot of coffee. And he's got his fourth lucky strike going full blast. Uh, he's, he's just sitting there just digging Saturday. See, my old lady, she's hanging over the sink with the Brillo pads. And I'm sneaking out the front. Down the steps I go. And five minutes later, I'm playing second base. I'm like, land in here. And I'm playing. All the while, there's this little sick feeling going on inside of me. No matter how much you play and sing and laugh, you know when you're cheating. You know when you're cheating. You know when you've done something rotten, stinking. Oh, if man was never born with a conscience, wouldn't it be a great world? Wouldn't it be a simple thing in life if you didn't have your conscience? I'm playing ball, having a great time. Well, you know, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. Ball game starts to peter out. Guys are drifting away, and it's getting to be around supper time. And I go drifting on back home. Now, it is almost forgotten, but yet it remains. <laughs> if it sounds like a paradox, it's true. And so I'm drifting on back with Flick, and I'm walking along, see? And I come up to the house, and I say, hey, I'll see you guys after supper, you know? And the Flick says, yeah, let's go down to bowling alley. I says, okay, we'll go down to bowling after you. It's down at 71st and, and Dorchester, you know? I said, okay, Flick, I'll see you after supper. I'll be out about 6.30, something like that. We always ate early on Saturday, see, the old man didn't have to go to work. He was always, you know, he always ate all the time on Saturday. He ate all day, so uh, so you didn't have to worry about him coming up for supper, see. So I drift up, I drift up out into the front of the house, see. <laughs> and I, and all the while, you know, I had I, I, almost completely forgotten this fantastic scene. So I walk through the dining room and I go into the kitchen, see. And my mother is hanging over the sink. And I said, hi, Ma. No answer. I said, hi, Ma. Hey, I'm home. How about to give me something to eat? Supper time, you know. I want to go down to the bowling alley with Flick. No answer. I said, well, what's the matter, Ma? 
And she finally turned. She said, something's wrong with the car. Because your, your father's really mad. Something happened to the car. I said, what? <laughs> All the while, a little thing says, oh, my God, it happened. I says, what? She says, I don't know. He's out in the back. And so very, very carefully, I walk out on the back porch, and I'm trying to play it cool. And I see the old man. His face is purple. It's really purple. And he's got stuff all over the driveway. He's got everything out. He's got tools, all kinds of jazzy. And he's really purple. And I, I walk over to him, trying to play it cool. And I said, Dad, Dad uh, what's, it, what's up? Oh, he says, I don't know. He says, someday I just... He says, you know, sometime I'm just going to step back. And he says, I'm going to just take a can of gasoline and throw it over this damn car and burn it up. Oh, this thing. He says, oh, he said, me and Gertz and Zudok, the whole crowd, we were going out tonight. And look at this. I can't get this damn thing run. It won't even start. And he rushes into the front seat again. He got the key in it and it goes. Well, I noticed gasoline is dripping out of the bottom of the car. So I said to the old man, I didn't know what to say about it. You know, I says, hey, Dad, I said, I said, uh, you notice this gas dripping out of the bottom of the car? He says, where, where? And he jumps out and he runs. I says, where, where, where? And I says, well, there. He says, where's it coming from? I said, I don't know. He says, you get in the car and turn it over and I watch. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's got this kind of screaming thing. See, so I go in the car. Now I'm scared. See, now I don't want to, you know, better play it real cool. I don't know nothing. See, so I put the key in the car and I turn it. I go, uh, 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 and I see him running around the front. And he's looking underneath the hood. See, and he's looking under the car. He says, stop it, stop it. It's going to blow up. Stop it. I get out of the car and he's standing there looking. And he's tasting the gas. He's smelling it, see. He says, gas coming out of it. Where the hell's the gas coming from? Yeah, I don't know, Dad. Because I thought it was a battery or something. I thought it was a, a coil. There's gas coming out. I says, yeah, I see it, Dad. He says, turn it out again. He says, it's coming out of the carburetor. Wait a minute, hold it. And he's got the hood open. He's looking. He's looking. It's coming out of the, out of the carburetor. I said, gee, it, it, that's funny, Dad. It is. And he's peering at it. He says, what the hell's wrong with it, this thing? These gas is coming out from under the carburetor there. Look at it. That sure is, Dad. He says, this... And he grabs a hold of the carburetor. It's loose. <laughs> he says, the carburetor's loose. What happened? He says, give me that bolt. Give me that... Give me that. He's giving them wrenches. Quick. He says, must have jarred loose. He's driving them for work. Give me them wrenches. And he takes the wrench. He didn't know I'd done any of this thing. So he takes the wrench, and he starts to tighten it. The one that I had tightened first, and it's going... He stopped, and he looked at it, and he says, What the hell's the matter with this thing? It's stripped! This is stripped! How did this bolt get stripped sitting out here in the backyard? I said, Gee, Dan, that's funny. Look, huh. Look at all that little, those little shavings of metal and stuff down on the... Granted, it must... Huh. And he looked up. Have you ever seen a look of, of almost total disbelief and a strange fear and total anger? It, everything was mingled in his face. He says, Who's been...
been messing with the car. Who stripped the nuts on the carburetor? Just give me that wrench. I'll try another one. And he takes the other one and he tightens it. And then he sees. It's one of the nuts is gone. Standing here trying to play it as cool as I could, see? Well, there's something about men. They understand each other, even when one is a kid and one ain't. He turns to me. And he said, What are you doing this afternoon? I got my ball glove. Nuts. Gee, Dan, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I didn't... Don't lie to me! How many times have you been told, don't lie to me? Don't lie to me! Well, now you got your choice. Come clean, which is suicide. Or play it all away. And the hope that he'll get hit by lightning. So I looked him right in the eye. I said, I've been playing ball. And he turns to me and said, Where's Randy? That is my kid brother. My kid brother. I mean, Randy had no more interest in cars than he had in, you know. <laughs> he's where's Randy? I said, Well, I think he's gee, I don't know. I think he's I think he's over at uh Gee, I think he's over at Jack Martin's house. Go get him! I said, yeah, Dad. So I go down the street, which was about three doors down, and I go out in front of Jack Martin's house, and I holler, Randy! Hey, Randy, you better get home. Dad wants you. Well, that's a bad news. When Dad wants you, forget it. My kid brother comes out on the porch, and those eyes as big as saucers. You know, who, me, what? I said, you better hurry home. Dad wants you. And so I sort of hung back. I didn't want to get involved. See, my kid brother goes trotting down the street. He goes up the driveway, and I heard, My kid brother is getting yelled at. My old man is hollering. And I hear my kid brother, you know. Well, do you know that no one ever said what happened to the car? For three days after that, our Oldsmobile sat and passed Winsky's garage to where it was towed while they looked for a whole set of new bolts, reboard the, the whole bit, put new threads in it, cost the old man probably three weeks' pay, had to get new gaskets. After that, the car got 12 miles to the gallon downhill with the wind behind it, and he'd been getting 15 before. It always missed. You have actually heard what my old man never knew. To the last day of his life, who stole the nuts off of his carburetor on the oils? You've heard a true confession tonight, friends. And the fear of total loss, the mysterious strange ways 
that things suddenly materialize and dematerialize is one of the great mysteries of life itself. And you know, no, I better not say it. I better not. But even to this day, every time I see a beautiful set of socket wrenches like in Sears, my hand itches. I want to get a hold of those socket wrenches and start tightening things and loosening things and taking stuff off and cleaning it and working around and losing things and sneaking and cheating and lying. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.